0: If you uh, have not received one of the handouts that I had handed out, there's still some quite a few of you left. It'll help you sort of follow my lesson a little bit, since I don't really have a blackboard or a PowerPoint or presentation or anything like that. But I am going want to start out from Isaiah chapter 43. I'd like to read a rather lengthy reading to start out, beginning with verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopian and Seba, you're in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes, and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this, and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses, that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand I work and will reverse it. Who will reverse it? The lesson that I've been asked to talk about tonight is about the names of God. And once again, I've changed the title of this lesson to The Nature of God as Defined and Revealed by His Names. You know, one of the early criticisms from so-called scholars that of Moses' authorship of the first five books of the Bible was Moses' use of various names for God? Well, writings older than the Bible have surfaced over the last number of decades that have seen various names for God. You know, if you consider, I talked about this a little bit in my class Monday morning, about how hard it is for an eternal God to communicate with us who are not eternal. I use the description, it's much like we trying to teach an ant something. We're we're very limited on what we can teach an ant. Well, I think God communicating with us is even harder. Perhaps the fact that we are made in his image makes it possible. But one of the ways that God communicates to us of his nature, one of the ways are through these various names that we're going to talk about. I don't know. I don't know if we'll go through all these tonight or not. They'll just give you an idea, and they're they not all-inclusive. There are other names as well that aren't listed on that list. Those are just some of the ones that, that we think about more common than others. Surely, this was one of the primary reasons for God calling Israel out to be his special people. Certainly to bring us to Christ, the Savior of the world but also to bring the world knowledge about God. As we, see, as we see Paul speaking there in Acts 17 to those philosophers on Mars Hill, proclaiming to him the God who created the world was the, was the one true God, was the one that they were worshiping ignorantly that they called the unknown God. So here he was introducing the Lord of heaven, the God of the Jews, to be sure, because he wants to be the God of all peoples. Now, obviously, we need to go to the Hebrew text to understand this. and I am not necessarily a proponent of depending too much on the original languages, because I'm certainly not a scholar by any means. Very few of us are anywhere near that. Very few of us can really say, well, yeah, I know what that means, or I know how to pronounce such and such a name or word to show off their knowledge. That's not what we're talking about, though. But we have to go to the Hebrew language because that's the names the Holy Spirit chose to reveal God as through the Hebrew language. So studying the names of God has to be an exception. We have to depend on the scholarship of others for sure. And it's absolutely vital that we go to Hebrew to better understand the various names for God. Now, perhaps it could be beneficial if we would learn how to use these names instead of the English forms of these names, but I think that may be just simply asking a bit too much for most of us. certainly is for me. I know you recall the advantage though, when you're trying to figure out a discussion, you always look at the context. Who is talking to who, Who is talking to whom, I should say. So we need to understand that about God. Now, as we look through some of these names, the very first one isn't really a name. It's more of a, a preface. It's more of a, a common root name that goes with God. The, the term El, which means expresses authority and strength and majesty. It's from this root that we have some of the various names for God, like Elohim, the mighty God. Like we have El Shaddai, the almighty God. So the word El is, is just a the, that that's before many of these names, that just means a mighty one. So the first name we go to is the very first introduction that God has of himself. And it's worth noting the name God, G-O-D, was the one the Holy Spirit chose to introduce God to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible does does not try to convince you there is a God. It simply speaks as there is one. It assumes you already know that. So that's how God introduced himself to us. The word Elohim, the mighty one, the all-powerful one. The word is a Hebrew masculine ending noun, but it's plural in form. It occurs almost 2,600 times in the rest of the Old Testament Scriptures. Now it's worth noting the word God, even though it's plural it's always joined by singular verbs or an adjective unless it refers to the heathen gods you know the old english english instructor would say god does it correctly even though it's plural it's treated like a singular because there is only one god according to the scriptures however if you use the if you use the same word in hebrew to describe idols you would say gods do it correctly But that's not the way the Holy Spirit revealed the name of God. And it's my understanding from from Brother Marvin Engel, who has a PhD, I think, in English at least. And I I believe it to be the case. I don't have enough scholarly ability to know whether it's not true. The fact that God always spoke to man in proper English, in a proper language, in proper grammar. God knows how to speak long before we did. So when it uses the word Elohim, it's referring to the plurality of God. Another term is called the Godhead. The Godhead always works together, never contrary to one another. Now, sometimes the scripture says the Father did such and such, or the Son did such and such, or the Holy Spirit did such and such. But they're always working together. Sometimes the scriptures mention angels working for or speaking for God. When it says this is God, we find out later it's an angel. Turn if you would over to Exodus chapter 3. When God first speaks to Moses from the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 2. No, yeah, Exodus 3, I'm in chapter 1, never mind. Beginning here with verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, from the midst of the bush. So it was an angel speaking for God. Angels have spoken for God a number of times. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily mention angels, but the implication is the same thing. Now we go back to the word God there in the New Testament. Look how the word God is treated in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. It doesn't say the gods so love the world, because they're spoken of as one. They're one Godhead. They're united as one. Never is the Godhead referred to as gods. Now there, there, there was formed a doctrine called tritheism that believed that the Godhead was made up by three distinct gods who came together for a common purpose. That's not the way God reveals himself to us. He's not revealed as three distinct gods. He's revealed as one, but yet he's revealed as with three people's, use the word personalities or beings. And it's a plural noun, but note the singular pronouns that often accompany it. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. Isaiah chapter forty-five, verse five: I am the Lord, and there is no other; there is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. In this same chapter, down in verse twenty-two: Look to me and be saved, for you, for all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none other. Now I'm not. I have thought about this for a while, and I've tried to do some research. I don't think we have an English word like that, other than God. You might be tempted to say deer. Well, deer can be either one. He shot a deer, or there are deer in our yard. It can be either one. The term God is always plural. It always reveals the Godhead, the plurality. And it's always accompanied also by singular verbs. Psalm chapter 7, verse 9. Psalm 7, verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For thee, righteous God, tests the hearts and minds. Psalm 57 and 2. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. It's always accompanied. With singular verbs. Elohim, which is what the word God means in Hebrew, is treated as a singular noun even though it's plural. So, and here's interesting to think about. When God talks to man, he always uses singular pronouns. I and me. But when he talks to himself, he always uses plural pronouns. Let us go down. Let us make man in our image. I just find that curious. Always consistent with that. When he speaks to us, he's always singular. When he speaks to himself with the rest of the Godhead, it's always plural. And then we go to Genesis chapter 14, 18 through 20. Here we have another name for God. And again, we learn things about God from this name as well. This is the name and I am, because I'm not a scholar, I'm not going to pronounce these correctly, I'm sure. El Eon. However you want to pronounce that, it's fine with me. Genesis chapter 14, beginning with verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand this name denotes his highest place the god most high most high over all the other gods now he wasn't saying there were other gods to be sure but there were idols and so this term was used that placed him above the others and in reality the only one that's real this distinguished him from the pagan gods it distinguishes him today from all the other gods that men and women are tempted to worship. El Eon alone was supreme and he ruled heaven and earth. This is why Israel could have no other gods before him because there were no other gods. He was God most high. There's a reason why that command is there. Genesis chapter 16, verses 11 through 13, we see another name for God. The it's, 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 it's Hebrew name is El Roi. And if you notice on there, I also put, put Strong's reference number where I got these from, that you can look those up if you wish. But in Genesis chapter 16, beginning with verse 11, this is when the Lord spoke to Hagar that she was with child. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? And that's what Elroi means, the God who sees. Now think about that. What does that teach us about God? There's a God who sees. He saw Hagar in distress. And he wanted to comfort her. He saw the oppression of, of his people in Egypt. And that's in chapter 3. The eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him. He sees us if we fear him. But he also sees iniquity, because he's a God who sees. He sees humble hearts, like Lydia. And I believe that's what led Paul and Silas to Lydia to preach the gospel to her in Philippi. And he also sees repentance. One of the most vile kings of Judah was Manasseh. After Manasseh had been carried away in chains to Babylon, the Bible says he repented and he pleaded for God's forgiveness. And God saw him and he heard him and granted him forgiveness. It's through these names we learn about who God is. And we learn what he expects from us. As I stated Monday, the more we learn about God, the more, I believe, we will be attracted to Him and what He wants to do for us. Now turn to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. This is one of the more common names about God here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you will multiply you exceedingly. Now I realize, a lot of times when we hear the term God Almighty, we hear it in a curse. But as long as we speak it with reverence and respect, God Almighty, or El Shaddai, as it's called in Hebrew, is is a very appropriate name for the Lord. This name is written at least 48 times in our English Bibles in the Old Testament Scriptures. It's believed to come from the word breast. It conveys the idea of Supply and nourish and satisfy. God will supply and nourish, and that's what He's promising Abraham here. He would provide for him. He would give him what he needed. The word "shaddai" with when connected with "l," the meaning is that God is mighty to supply and nourish and satisfy. That's what the, that's what the prefix "l" adds to that. He's all bountiful. He's all sufficient. No matter what Israel's needs were, God would meet them. No matter what our needs are, God knows of them, and God will provide for us. Genesis 49 and 25 says, By the God of your Father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. You know, the connection between God Almighty, or El Shaddai, and God's provision. There again, we learn the nature of God. And I talked about this a little bit, Monday. I think it's worth bringing up. There's only so much we can learn about God from nature. The heavens declare the glory of God, to be sure. We can be convicted there's a God, and maybe we can come to the understanding, well, if there's a God, He must expect something from me. But beyond that, it doesn't really tell us about God, about what he expects from us. We have to go to these names. We have to learn who God is and what he wants to do for us. And now turn over to the one I know we talked about, but I'm going to review it a little bit again. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. This word Lord here, the second one, you know, the first of all capital letters, you know that's referring to Jehovah. Jehovah said to Adonai. Adonai means master or lord. Most of the time, the word Adonai, especially in the New Testament, is referring to Jesus. So because of that, we know who's speaking here, right? Jehovah said to Jesus, Set at my right hand, tell him make your enemies your footstool. Deuteronomy 10 and 17. For the Lord Your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, that's the almighty God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. In that one verse, if you will count, there are four different names for God. And he's not gods of gods or lords of lords. He's God of gods and Lord of lords. The Holy Spirit, chose to reveal God's name to us in this matter. He must have had a reason. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste inspiration and revelation. There must be a reason. There must be a purpose. And then we go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 18. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and have forgotten the God, that's, that's God Most High, who fathered you. Isaiah 17 and 10 says the same thing. Well, we know that Jesus embodied many of these terms himself. Jesus, the word rock is another name for Jesus. We go to the New Testament to find that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. This tells us something about Jesus. Jesus was there in the Old Testament Scriptures. Notice the different parallels here. The actual rock was Jesus. That which followed them was Jesus. The identity was Jesus. And it's upon Christ the rock the church was built upon. There's another name that Jesus identifies with as the rock that his church is built upon. You go back to the Old Testament again. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. This is the common name that we refer to God as. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, talking to Moses here, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So there's another name for God. He's called Father. He's called Father. The name name speaks to the idea of begetting, of sustaining, of upholding, of nourishing, and protecting. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 6. I think I'm going to fall through this hole here. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? It is not he, is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? He was Israel's father. He's our father. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And as Thomas said, show us the Father, Jesus said, how many times have I tried to show you when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And I don't think he's referring to his physical appearance. We really don't know what Jesus looked like. And I think there's intent there. There's a reason why we don't know that. But it's his life. We have a picture of Jesus. And when we look at Jesus through his life, his works, his spirit, his attitude, we see the Father. Jesus came to show us the Father. And it's interesting how our Creator desired that he be revealed to us as Jehovah through the Old Testament, as our Father through Jesus, as our Savior through the New Testament Scriptures. And now we go to one of the most common terms used in the Bible pertaining to God, the name Jehovah. We see Jehovah first mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. Now, it's worth noting that his name Jehovah wasn't introduced until the second chapter when he's explaining some of the more details of of what happened in creation. But here it starts out with chapter 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, the day the Lord God. That first Lord is all capitalized, Jehovah. But yet, it has the word God or Elohim with it. Jehovah God, even in the name Jehovah God, it speaks of a plurality. There must be a reason for that. And this was the name that God is introduced to the Hebrews in Egypt. A verse we read about Monday, Exodus chapter six, verse two. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham." To Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. <laughs> Note the Lord's emphasis of his own names. He has a reason. He revealed himself as El Shaddai to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he revealed himself as the Jehovah God to Israel for a reason. The term I am comes to my mind, to mind when God was, it was answering one of Moses' questions. Who do I tell Israel you are? I am or I shall be what I shall be, which comes from the word Jehovah. The phrase declares Jehovah's unchangeableness and not only of his being, but also of his relationship to his people. God never forsake Israel. They forsook him. They forsake him. He will not forsake us. We can leave him, but God will always be there for us. Israel had the divine assurance that the Almighty would be there for them. And even in their rebellion. Every time they were caught up in bondage because of their worshiping idols, who did they cry out to help? They cry out to the Baals and the Astrals and the Molechs? No, they cried out to the Lord of heaven. One time in Judges, the Lord even said, Well, why don't you cry out to those gods that you've worshipped? Let them deliver you. He must have said that with tongue in cheek because he knew there were no gods. And they, I believe, knew those other gods were not real. That's why they called out to God. And every time they would repent, God would receive them back. Until finally, they chose not to repent. So God had the northern nation destroyed. And then several hundred years later, he had the southern nation dispersed, scattered to other nations because they did not repent. The name Jehovah God every time they would hear this name they were reminded every time they heard it that Jehovah was with them and wanted to be with them all the time. This was their covenant name for God you might say throughout their generations that that the Jews at least the Old Testament Jews refused to utter afraid afraid they would make the make the name unholy by the use passing through their lips. And I can certainly understand and appreciate why the Jews so respected the name of Jehovah. Now, I think it's fine for us to mention to call him Jehovah God. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to do it with awe, with respect, knowing that he wants it that way. And of course, this name I am has references to Jesus in the revelation letter, in Jesus introducing himself to John the Apostle. In Revelation chapter 1, several verses. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches, John Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. We look down in verse 8. I am, meaning Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Down in verse 17. And when I saw him, meaning John, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. We know we talked about this Monday, how Jesus claimed this title to himself. I am and the people started stoning him because they thought he was he was he was equating himself to god now if i claimed to be the i am i would be blaspheming because i'm not god but jesus was god jesus has every right to claim that title the great i am to be sure and one time i think it's in john 10 when he said no it's in john 8 excuse me when he says unless you know that i am he you will die in your sins you'll notice there in John 8:24 the word he is italicized when the publishers add a word that they think makes it easier to understand they put it in italics but i think it makes it more it makes it more difficult to understand why not just say unless you know that i am he you will die in your sins that seems more clear to me but i'm not a, a scholar by any means since jesus is the i am we have the same assurance as Israel did regarding our covenant with him. Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse twenty. This covenant is repeated. Now may the God of peace who brought you up, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we have the same assurance. Now, the question is often asked, well, how do you know God is going to keep his promises? The answer I like to give is because he always has. And we have that assurance he will continue to be because he is the great I am. Now we're going to change gears a little bit. Look on the other side of that paper. I think it's on the other side. It has a listing of some what we call compound names with Jehovah in the Old Testament that are worth noting. These compound names gave the chosen people and our, and us a little deeper appreciation and insight into God's nature and what he wanted to do for them and what he wants to do for us. Each of these compound terms is fully realized and revealed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So when we've seen Jesus. We see the father. The first one is in Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen. Another passage here confirmed regarding regarding uh, Hagar. No, th- this is when. Excuse me. This is when Jesus. This is when Abraham is offering up his son on the on the uh, altar. To be sure. Genesis 22, 14. And Abraham called the name. Well, let me start with 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram called in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of the sun. And Abraham called the name of the place "The God will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The name Jehovah Jireh is what that means. God will provide. Abraham was confident calling it that because the Lord would provide. He provided a sacrifice. Remember, that's what he told Isaac. God will provide a sacrifice. Even if he had him kill him, he, would raise it. he knew God could raise him from the dead. But in the end, God did not require that he kill Isaac. He provided a ram called in the thicket. God earned his name. Abraham was confident by that point. Now, he, he, he had some trials before that, and he didn't pass all the trials. But by Genesis 22, when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, he said, yes, Lord, and got up early the next morning and was about to do that. Well, we see this in Jesus Christ. God has provided his greatest gift for mankind. He's provided salvation through Jesus. As the prophet John says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he continues to provide all that we need, everything that pertains to life and godliness. And because of that is a lack of faith if we ignore God's provision, it's a lack of faith when we're not thankful for it, it's a lack of faith if we assume he's failed in his promise, because he has never failed. And in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 16. Here we have another compound name for God. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah is our righteousness. This name pictures God as dealing with men under the ideas of acquittal, of justification and righteousness. One of the most powerful verses in regarding to the gospel, I think, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Specifically, beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, nor fornicators, nor nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you. Notice the verb, were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There is what the God of righteousness does for us. We are justified by Jesus Christ. Jehovah was the source of righteousness in the Old Testament Scriptures. Christ is the source of righteousness for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I, I'd like to read that again, and I'm going to replace the pronouns. I think, they, I think they're like this. For God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. As God's people, our lives should reflect His righteousness. We don't have righteousness of ourselves. It's like we reflect the light of Christ, like the moon reflects the light of the sun. We reflect His righteousness, His holiness. And there's another name that comes from Exodus chapter 13. The name Jehovah M. Kadesh. This compound name means Jehovah who sanctifies. Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 2. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage? For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No unleavened bread shall be eaten. Israel was God's firstborn son. Set apart to serve the Lord. Set apart to serve the God who said in Isaiah 6 and 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Of the many things that were stressed in Israel's relationship to Jehovah, none were stressed more than holiness or separation, separating from the world. This is why Moses was told to take off his sandals for your own holy ground. This is why the holy mountain was holy. This is why the people were not to set foot on it. This is why the holy things of the tabernacle and temple were holy, because they were ordained of God. The most holy place, because God was there. Well, this principle certainly applies today. Be ye holy as I am holy, be ye separate. The idea of separation is just as, maybe even more powerful today. Christ is to us what God was to his people in the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our sacrifice that he might sanctify and present us as a holy church to God. Christ is a God who is holy and he does sanctify the Holy Spirit. Think about, consider how the Holy Spirit sanctifies the church by being in the body, by being involved in our assemblies, the holy things of God by our living sacrifices we give to God, that's what makes them holy. God walking with us today necessitates we must be separate from the world. There's a reason why the church is called the called out. We are called out of the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. We live in the world. Jesus prayed for his apostles. He said, I don't pray that I don't say that you take them out, but protect them. And that pertains to us as well. We still live in the world, but we're supposed to remain separate from them. Then there's another name in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. God's talking to Gideon here. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is the in Oprah of the Iberazites. The Lord is peace. That's what Jehovah Shalom means. Shalom means peace. Shalom is translated 170 times in the Old Testament, meaning peace. And peace with God was established with regard to his people through the pain off of a debt. The debt, of course, is sin. The Old Testament worshipers of God, their sin was, was paid as a shadow through their sacrifices, but it wasn't actually paid for. It wasn't they weren't exactly debt free until Christ died on the cross, ultimately paid by the blood of Christ. God's word is clear in many places that the only source of true peace comes from him. So when the angels proclaimed the birth of Jesus, peace on earth, the peace on earth was talking about our relationship with God when our sin would be taken away. That's what they were Proclaiming when he was born. It's with this name that I learned some more things that only pertain to God. When Jesus, when they called Jesus good, good teacher, he said, "There's none God, nothing good, none good, only God." He was he always pointed to the Father. This is why God was called the peace offering for the people. Jesus came to give us peace. Jesus was also in prophecy called the everlasting Father. Prince of peace. Peace relates to us through Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it clear, Jesus is our peace. Therefore, we are called to be peacemakers. And if we live in peace, peace will be with us. We are to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, if we're like Christ. The peace of God is what separates us. And I am convinced the peace of God is what can help us get through these Seemingly difficult trials and times that our society is going through right now. The peace of God can carry us through, to be sure. Another name for God is found in Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The name Jehovah Rohi. The compound name means Jehovah is my shepherd. Well, who is our good shepherd today? Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is called the shepherd of our souls. He desires to help us stay in his fold, help us come into his fold and help us remain there where it's safe, where we can be protected from the world. There's another compound name in Ezekiel. We're going to have to get going here. In 48, 35, I'm not going to read the verse, but it's Jehovah Shammah. It means Jehovah is there. Shama conveyed the truth to Israel that the presence and glory of God dwelt in their midst. His dwelling with them was contingent upon their obedience to his covenant. Jehovah's presence was manifested in the tabernacle and in the temple. He was there. That's what made the, tabel, the tabernacle and the temple holy. Well, in Christ we have the full realization of the presence of God. The presence of God is now in Christians as living Temples to God, as the body of Christ is the temple to God. That's what makes it holy, the presence of God through His Spirit. We're not alone. Jesus is here with us. How do we know that? Because He said He would be. And there's the idea of Jehovah Nissi, which means Jehovah is my flag, as is mentioned in Exodus chapter 17, 14 through 16. In other words, when God is on our side, we're marching under His flag under his leadership. This is one of the reasons why I personally find this what they call the Christian flag so repulsive. It's not about a physical flag waving in the air. And I think some of you have probably seen what, what many evangelicals use. I know I, used, I grew up with it. Our flag is Jesus Christ. And how do we lift up his flag but by living our life in a holy and a right manner? He is our God. He is our leader. He is the one that we follow. This is, this is whom we fight under. We fight the good fight of faith. And as a result, we must endure hardship as good soldiers in Christ. Our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. Our welfare, we are in welfare, we are assured victory. Because Jesus has already won the war. The only question is, whose side will we be on when we die? If we remain faithful unto death, we will be on his side, the side of victory. As Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God gives us victory through Jesus Christ. In Exodus 15 and twenty six, there's the name Jehovah Rophi, which means Jehovah heals. The word Rophi means to cure, to restore, to heal. If Israel would would obey the Lord, God would be their leader. Physically and spiritually. That's what Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jehovah, Jehovah Ropi is fully realized in Jesus Christ. That's why we call him the great physician. Now while on earth, Jesus healed many diseased and afflicted, he did that, yes, he had compassion on people who were suffering, but he did it to show his power. He did it to show his power to heal. He's given us the only answer, the only healing for the greatest disease that we have to fight. It's called sin. Jesus is the cure as the great healer. This is the good news that must be preached to every creature. And of course, one point that he made was, which is harder to do, to heal or to forgive sins. Jesus could do both. Man cannot, to be sure in Exodus so chapter 34, verse 14, there's the compound name Jehovah Kana, which Jehovah is jealous. Now, the Old Testament word for jealous, which is translated jealous for, the word Kana is jealous for us. Regarding God, it did not carry the bad concept that we have to deal with in the flesh. Jehovah was zealous and jealous for his own glory because he deserves it. It's not right for us to be jealous for glory. We don't deserve it, but God does. Jehovah is rightfully jealous for what belongs to him alone. This is why he is so angry when his people went after other gods. This is why he's still angry when we go after other gods. And don't get me, don't misunderstand me. We do have other gods in our culture today. We still have other gods that we can turn to. And the Lord, he gets him angry when we do that. Because they're not really gods at all. Because when we do that, We take what rightfully belongs to him and give it to someone else. And then in Psalm 24 and 10, Jehovah Sabbath. The compound name means Jehovah of hosts. The word hosts is used as heavenly bodies, earthly forces. God of hosts. He's already won the battle. The question is, which side are we going to be on? We're not going to get into the New Testament names. They basically reflect the Old Testament names just in Greek form. Of course, the emphasis of the New Testament is on Jesus and his crucifixion. We're going to have an invitation song or a closing song this evening. Something I was thinking about. You know, when I stepped out of my car this morning, a sister came up to me with a big smile and said, Did you hear about Hayden? I said, no. Aunt Stanley was baptized this morning. And she just smiled so broadly. Why? Because she's a child of God. She prays God. And if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, everyone here is rooting for you. They want you to become a Christian. Not for their sake, but for your sake. For your salvation's sake. There's no guarantee you'll be here in the morning. So why would you wait? Why won't you accept the fact that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all of us? And everyone here is rooting for you. You talk about a a great reason to glorify God. Another soul was added. And that's just here. Probably all over the world, other souls have been added. You cannot be among any better people than the Lord's people when you make that decision. If we can serve you in any way, either come forward as we sing or simply speak to any of the brethren after the meeting. And God's word will be provided for you if you give your life to him. Please consider your souls as we stand and sing the song that's announced.